Welcome to Deep Condition Combos. This is a safe space to discuss Black hair care and the experience of being a Black and or BIPOC woman. Happy Sunday, guys. This is the second episode of season two, and I am so excited. I'm so proud of the work that Deep Condition Combos is doing. I'm so proud of our growth and how we continue to just grow and expand and meet dope people and share this information. So in this episode, I have people from We Are Incorporated. Now, We Are is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. It stands for Working to Extend Anti-Racist Education. And so what they do is they go and do programming. They have a summer camp. They have conferences. And their purpose, their mission is to provide anti-racist training and education to children, families, and educators. And in this episode, they are my guests. They are my co-hosts. You guys, they are so dope. It is a woman-run organization. Now, let me clear that up because it doesn't mean that there aren't uh, men involved, but as far as, you know, who's getting things done, who's, you know, checking off the list, it is a woman-run organization, in my opinion. Um, and I had the opportunity to meet four dope women, one of them being Sierra, Sarajane, Brittany, and Rhonda. You're going to learn more about them in this episode so I'm only going to give their names, um, but we just had such a great conversation. Um, we really sat up and talked about our experience as Black women and as women of color and how we navigate life. We talked about our hair. We talked about our experiences. Um, just such a dope conversation. So be sure to listen and to listen to it in its entirety. Again, happy Sunday, you guys. Um, you know, this is usually hair day for me. So if you're out there and this is your hair day, this is a great time to, you know, play this in the background as you, you know, wash your hair, deep condition and style it. Enjoy this episode. All right. So welcome to Deep Condition Combos. This is a safe space to discuss Black hair care and the experience of being a Black or BIPOC woman. And I am here with some really special guests from We Are, which is a nonprofit organization here in Durham, North Carolina. We Are stands for Working to Extend Anti-Racist Education. And I'm here with the whole gang, y'all. So um, this is just a wonderful group of ladies. Uh, we Are does really dope work in the community, but I'm not gonna tell y'all about that because they're here and we're gonna talk about what they do. And we're gonna talk about the experience of being black and brown women and how we navigate our lives, just different parts of it. Um, so before we get into the nitty gritty of everything, is it okay if we go around and if you guys can give your names, can you give your role, where are you from and what, what brought you to We Are? Yeah, I can start. I am Sarajane Davis. I am a native of Charlottesville, Virginia. That's where I was born and mm -hmm. raised, where okay. I did my undergraduate undergraduate work, excuse me, there. And I think a lot of my experiences and growing up in close proximity to my extended family, I talk about often um, the stories my grandparents would tell me that started me on my journey to anti-racism mm -hmm. and joining We Are Where I Was, um, the Educated Programs Coordinator up until about a month ago. Mm -hmm. um, but I still am like to think that I'm part of the We Are family. Yeah. Yes, I love it. Thank you. No 
Um, hi everyone, my name is Sierra Gibbs and I'm the appointment administrator for We Are. Um, and actually Rhonda, who is our lead curator, was actually my um, English teacher. No way! <laughs> so that's how we kind of started that connection. Okay. Then we also both graduated from Rhonda together. Yeah. I graduated undergrad, she graduated with a PhD. Okay. And then um, my dad worked with her aunt at the state. So a bunch of different connections, but mm -hmm. some way, somehow we were able to get connected and I was able to get this job. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Small world, right? Yeah. It's crazy how like there's just like these. What is it? Um, is it seven degrees? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, hey y'all, I'm uh, Brittany De Rosario. Um, I am. My pronouns are she they. I'm the Children and Families Program Coordinator with We Are. Um, and so I'm a former high school English teacher uh, for Durham Public Schools, and I just realized after a while that there wasn't enough representation in the curriculum uh, for my, my black and brown children. Um, so mm -hmm. I started incorporating more and more. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't really getting good support uh, from folks about that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was kind of just time to make a shift, um, make a change. Uh, and I had um, a previous connection with um, Rhonda and her mm -hmm. husband uh, from previous uh, workshops and events and and different things uh so it was kind of cool to see the job come up and one of my uh friends um former colleagues from uh, student u uh, yeah. actually convinced me to apply <laughs> and i'm so glad nice. she did um because uh yeah this has been a life-changing role where i can now openly do this work um mm -hmm. with with full support and mm -hmm. not uh, have to think about like the, the pushback that I would get from it. So yeah, it's definitely great to be here. Yes, and that, that makes all the difference is having this support. Um, I have a little background with working with students and I understand the frustration that mm -hmm. comes with that. Yeah, definitely. Yay. I am Rhonda Taylor Bullock, pronouns of she, her. I'm originally from a small rural town called Goldston, okay. North Carolina, so not too far from here. Um, and I came to We Are, I'm the um, lead curator and co-founder here, mm -hmm. and um, I wanted to start We Are. I'm an accidental social entrepreneur. <laughs> I thought I was um, doing some anti-racism work that would be on the side. And then um, based on my lived experiences growing mm -hmm. up in a small, rural, predominantly white town, and dealing mm -hmm. with racism from an early age, I just really wanted to create a space where we kind of disrupt yeah. some of these norms. Um, that happen with children and our families and in, in education. And so that's kind of how uh, we are came to be. I know, I think that's a, a beautiful story. Uh, you know what? I asked y'all to share everything. I didn't even tell you what brought me to We Are. Yes. So um, I met, I met Rhonda through a training. We were it was uh, it was Fort County a few years ago for the early care um, early care educators and the providers, and so um, I had to present, but Rhonda went first, and I was just like, oh my god, you know, like I was just like, well, there's a space for this because you don't, you know, it's not something. I'm not gonna say it's not marketed, but it's just something I didn't hear about, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, for you know why but um <laughs> and so when i learned about it um i remember i wrote it down on my phone i went and did my presentation um and when i got home i went and looked it up because i was like well i really want to know what they're about and so um i read about the work you do i read about your mission and i fell in love um because i know how it is like not to have a space where you can talk about these things and where these things are like these are real issues and um, especially when you bring up the word racism, even though it's anti-racism, like, you know, people are like, oh, it's taboo, or they feel like you're trying to shape the status quo. 
But really, it's like we just want to have like some balance. Like, can we have a common ground for our experience? Like mm-hmm. you said, having representation. Um, and so that's what brought me to We Are. And I'm just, again, so glad to have you guys here. Um, so a question that I want to leave with is, you know, we know what you guys stand for. It's all about, again, the anti-racist education. You're extending it. You're bringing in families, children, and communities. Um, you do a lot of work. Okay, you, one thing I noticed is that um, my platform is also about representation. Um, you know, mine is brought through by hair and just talking about just the lives, just the experiences that we have as women of color. Um, and representation was that theme that we had in common. So I wanted to ask you guys, uh, is there a time in your life uh, that you realized just, you know, the importance of representation and you understood the concept of representation? Um, I can go. Yeah. Go first. Um, so I, for a long time, um, so I'm, I'm Puerto Rican and Cuban mm-hmm. and uh, my dad is very dark and my mom is very um, light and white passing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a long time, I didn't know what any of that meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they very much tried it the best that they could to diversify like our toys um mm-hmm. you know we had black and brown barbies and black and brown baby dolls right mm-hmm. um but it kind of just didn't make a difference mm-hmm. to me um and i didn't have an awareness of that it wasn't actually until um i got into grad school and then um and then my teaching career um that i realized like i said that mm-hmm. that representation um mattered uh that i had an awareness of that because of the, like I said, the, the books mm-hmm. that, and the articles and the, the short stories and the poems that we were putting in front of our students. Um, I was teaching pre- predominantly black and brown students and all of our authors were white and all of our mm-hmm. characters were white. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some stories may be, but you know, when the characters and the authors don't look like you, it's kind of hard to find that connection. Yeah. Um, so, I think that's when I kind of became really aware of what I was teaching, what I was putting in front of my students. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I said, I think my parents did a good job of diversifying our kind of world. Um, yeah. But, you know, now that I think back on it, like when I was in school, when I was younger, I was being taught about all the white characters and all mm-hmm. the white authors. And, you know, when you reflect on that as an adult, um, you know, you start to then realize like why it's so important for uh, our young people to be seeing that so much earlier than they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became even more predominant for me when I became a mother. Um, yeah. So my husband is Filipino. So mm-hmm. my children are Filipino and Latino. And um, I just want them to see a world yeah. and, and their books and their TV shows. And it's becoming more accessible now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's really important for them and they're only two and five. So, yeah, but they won't have to think about a time when their world wasn't mm-hmm. a representation of them. Mm-hmm. So, No, I think that was well said. Um, I, I remember that in my upbringing, similar, like, you know, you go back and you look at the cartoons and the books <laughs> yeah. um, and even the, you know, even, even if they weren't POC, they, they would try to put traits so that you could relate to it, but mm-hmm. it's not quite the same. Mm-hmm. Like when you like, we're here like mine. Oh, okay. And like, she talks like I talk and, you know, there are these nonverbals that they get. And it's just nice to just, again, see that and, and see that on screen or in the books yeah. in the classroom. So I think, I think that's great. Anybody else? 
kind of similar to mm-hmm. uh, Brittany's story, and I have, mm-hmm. I'm having two different thoughts, but I'll stick with the first one that comes to the classroom. I remember being, I think I was a junior in high school in an AP English class, and that was the first time with, with, with intention mm-hmm. we were reading, <clears throat> excuse me, black uh, uh, books by black authors. I think we had read maybe Their Eyes Were Watching God and Kindred. Mm-hmm and struggled through Invisible Man, which is a beautiful book, but very difficult, I think, for like (laughs) (laughs) 17-year-olds. And um, myself and one other friend of mine, we're still friends today, we were the only two Black kids in the class, but we were loving it. And our white teacher, white male teacher, was doing the best that he could. And there was one uh, young white man who, I think we were on the third or fourth book, and in the middle of class after our teacher had announced that he just like threw his hands up and was like, again? Another one of these books, why do we keep reading this? And the, um, our teacher was kind of compromising with him and Naya and I were like, hold on, what? We've been mm-hmm. reading books by your people forever. <laughs> four books and you're losing your mind, right? Like, are you kidding me? And we were like pushing back and our teacher, I think was like, okay, you're right. Everybody take a deep breath. And we were like, right. no, we're not going to breathe deep. We want to keep reading this. Like mm-hmm. he's had 10 years and he's got two more. He'll be fine. Um, but I think that has that story, that moment, even though mm-hmm. I didn't know it then, but as I've gotten older and become an educator has reminded me or stood out why representation is not only important for like black and brown kids, because Naya and I certainly deserve all mm-hmm. of the books and we deserve them full before then, yeah. but also like my white peers did too. It shouldn't, it shouldn't have been yes. shocking to his system to read books that he may not yes. have fully yep. have, mm-hmm. like that may not have fully um, aligned with his experience at that point, yeah. but it should have been something that he was open to and exposed to before then. Like just the point being, I guess that we can't expect kids to become adults who know how to engage difference and how to respect difference if we don't mm-hmm. expose them to it. And mm-hmm. I think that's an important aspect of representation too. No, you are right. The, the word exposure, like, and I'm I'm going to try to stay on task because I, I think that's a big thing, too. Um, I come from a small town, Wilson, North Carolina. I don't know if y'all yes, familiar with two five two. It's hardly home always repping, but, you know, it is what it is. And so um, I, I grew up with that, too. I don't know about you guys. Like, uh, if you're familiar with the book by Shonda Rhimes, your guest. So there's this term that she's called first and only. And in a lot of her experiences, mm-hmm. she was like the first and only to do things. And it kind of felt like that for me, maybe not to that extreme, but I remember like just matriculating through school and being the first and only in things. Um, I did things that some of the girls that looked like me didn't do because mm-hmm. it because it did lend to exposure. And, you know, it's like, well, how come they weren't interested in it? I was like, how come it's something that I like? But it just seems like, you know, um, my fellow peers are not that they don't see the value, but I think it could be because of that lack of exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my mom was wise enough to put me in programs that would take me places so that I could see, you know, other opportunities and other options. And I think that's a, a really good thing. I think that's the beautiful thing about reading. Like if you can't afford it, books can take you there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can learn to dream from books and you can really learn to be like, okay, well, what do I want to, what do I want to do? And how can I take this and, you know, make it a reality for me, but really good point. Um, I can go next. Okay. Um, I think, so I don't think I'd say this in the intro, but I'm from Durham okay. as well. And mm-hmm. I went to Hillside, which is a mm-hmm. predominantly black high school. So I feel like, like through my years, I maybe, since I was so used to seeing people that looked like me and having yeah. an image that looked like me, I didn't 
understand the concept until I got to Carolina mm-hmm. and it was like a culture shock because there was really nobody there that looked mm-hmm. like me. Child. And so as I was thinking, it's, and my mindset going into college was I want to go to PWI, I just need some different exposure to different mm-hmm. people. And I just hate that I took such a like sacred space for granted because it mm-hmm. is like having, yes. you know, like people that yes. look like you, you can every single day, like that's what you see, that's, you know. Yeah. And so, and then I got to school, to um, college, and then found out that to learn about my history, you have to actually take those classes, you have to actually major in that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just readily available. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that. Like, I didn't like the yeah. fact that I had to almost put myself in a box to be able to learn, mm-hmm. you know, things that white kids learn, mm-hmm. you know, right. their whole, whole life. Yeah, their yeah. whole life. So yeah. I think for me, that's where it really clicked. Like, this is really important and it, and yeah. it shouldn't be this way. This should be universal curriculum. Everybody should be learning this just the same way we have to learn, you know, Moby Dick and all that other stuff. Um, <laughs> yes. And also, like when I was in college, I worked at a hotel, and I was mm-hmm. the only, I was the only person of color on the desk. So mm-hmm. I was the first person that they saw when they came in. And you know, a lot of white people would, you know, try to have conversation. What school do you go to? I would tell them I go to UNC, and just like the shock on their face would just be like, "Oh my God, I can't believe that! Like, what are you mm-hmm. majoring? Where are you from? What are your parents doing?" And you know, all the like mm-hmm. questions like, like I have to yes. validate my identity to you and what yes. I am and who I am. And I see just, the head nods. Yeah. It's like we can relate. So yeah. just. You know, coming out of that space at Hillside and then coming into like this space, yeah. it just really like started getting the wheels turning for me, and it really started to click to me like I have to do this for myself, and I have to do this for my for my little cousins, for my you know my mm-hmm. future kids, and make sure I know who I am and and be a good representation so that they can also see like mm-hmm. you know that people that look like us can do these things, people that look like us can go to university and you know have meaningful careers and you know mm-hmm. not have to be put in this box or have to act a certain way or speak a certain way That's to be right. validated in society. Right. No, I love that you bring a different perspective. I I attended a predominantly white high school, mm-hmm. um, but my, my mama is very much a black woman, very pro-black, very, I grew up with um, paintings and it was, she was very intentional to put black and brown paintings. She was very intentional with my Barbie dolls. Mm-hmm. Like she, mm-hmm. you know, not racist, just kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. you need to understand like your, your history and the, the richness of it. So I always, I love being black and I loved being black in high school, but when, you know, when you're the minority and then when you're the first and only, a lot of times it would kind of like make me like, you know, straddle a little bit or I would feel kind of like, all right, should I not be this proud or should I not, you know, be so open about it? Um, Because I didn't realize it as a high school student, but now as an adult, I'm like, okay, they just didn't understand. Like maybe mm-hmm. they didn't have exposure either. Um, and so I ended up going to A&T for the like, some, you know, I guess opposite, but I was like, okay, I want to go back to what I came from. And I want to have like, you know, some support, um, you know, and it's just crazy how like our experiences like shape us and how we move. Yeah. But yeah, that's, I mean, thank you for sharing that. Cause that's definitely one too. Yeah, I just want to uplift you. Mm-hmm. I really liked, it was beautiful how you said taking this sacred place for granted. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, that was dope. Because sometimes you're in the midst of a space yeah. and you don't know how much of a gift it is, yes. right? Yes. And you don't have it. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty, a really good deal. Um, I was going to share my experience was, I think I was in seventh or eighth grade mm-hmm. um we have black kids in our school we're still predominantly white most almost all of our teachers were white um but we had black we have a few handful of black educators but my um english teacher was white and we were reading a poem by phyllis wheatley mm. yeah so um and at the end of the poem 
um, I remember raising my hand and saying to the teacher, I didn't know there were white slaves. Mm-hmm. And so, and the teacher looked at me like I was crazy. It yeah. was like, Rhonda, this lady was black. I did not understand mm-hmm. yeah. what happened right there yeah. until I was in high school looking back. Because that, that had always stayed with me. First of all, she looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, we had only read white authors up until that point. So when we're reading a poem by Phyllis Wheatley, I'm racing this person as white. Yeah. yeah. Um, not and not because it was a slavery. I didn't automatically assume, assume that it was a black person. That's why I was, I was astonished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a white person is writing a poem about slavery, mm-hmm. you know. And it wasn't until I was in high school that I realized I assumed that person was white because everybody we had ever read was mm-hmm. white, or if they were not white, it was not made visible to me, and so I yeah. assumed. But yeah. I am, I believe everyone that we have read, mm. you know, was white, and so I was like, that is sick like it made me sick to my stomach you know and that's and that's harmful mm-hmm. um also Phil, phyllis wheatley is dope and how do you not do an yeah. identity portion of her as an author yeah. to teach that poem mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i digress that's my pedagogy part how do you teach phyllis wheatley and not tell us her op- her, op- yes. her identity or well, why didn't you mm-hmm. more right. importantly like or why she thoughts. wrote this poem yeah yeah this is a historical. We're just reading another poem in a book. Mm-hmm. So, um, did I hit my own? No, no, it's not. <laughs> no, I'm but, here um, for it. I'm here for it. That was that was when I realized that, or or at least an early memory that representation matters. Mm-hmm. No, I um, I haven't many stories. I'm trying to find one. I don't even know if this is necessarily representation, but it stands out for me because it was just, you know, just really prevalent. But when I was in middle school, so I moved around a lot Mm -hmm. as a a child and um, my mom and I, well, my mom and our family, we moved from Wilson County into um, another county that was predominantly white. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was like the end of the school year. So we're watching movies. You know how they go. Like nobody's really doing anything. And I had my shoes off because like we're laying on the floor watching a movie. And my classmate, who um, was a white girl, she looked at me and she said, I didn't know that Black people's feet were light at the bottom. Yeah, that's one of many stories from where I was. And I just, like, didn't know what to say in a moment because I was like, well, yeah. You know, I'm like, what what else am I supposed to say? But I just thought, like, well, why wouldn't she know that? And, like, who even focuses on like <laughs> you know it just but it was um that was the start of that and then as I just grew into adulthood like I realized like those kind of questions like those kind of moments were brought up to me and I was just like what is this like I don't ask y'all about you know y'all things but you always you know so I just I realized then I was like okay um maybe I'm your only black friend um, or a black person that you interact with. Uh, And it just really frustrated me because I always felt like um, just with some of the things that were brought to me that I had to filter Mm -hmm. my response because, you know, um, when you are a person of color, it's not just you, it's Mm -hmm. the community. So now I don't even get to like respond how I want to respond. I got to be like, 
okay, I can't be angry mm-hmm. because then I might get in trouble. Um, but if I'm too soft, then, you know, I'm scary. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it was just a lot of that going back and forth for me growing up with like, you know, how to show up for myself as um, a girl and a woman of color, just as far as I like, navigate in life, because that was always, it was always at this crossroads where it's like, I don't want to be, you know, mislabeled because of how I want to respond to some of this, some of this BS that mm-hmm. I have presented. I'm just going to respond yeah. to something you said, like even going back to what you said earlier about like being one and o- the one and only, mm-hmm. and then like talking about like, you know, this idea of like people asking you questions and like kind of expecting that answer. It, it reminds me of um, that same <laughs> workshop that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the participants said, you know, it's like when you are the one and only in the room or in the space, it's like people think that they're entitled to mm. information about you mm. and entitled to the details of your life because you are the one and only or the exotic one you're the yeah. unique one and it's it's interesting because it's just like no i'm i, I want to keep that stuff protected um but then when you're keeping that stuff protected it's just like why are you so standoffish yes. why are you this yes. way? and it's just like i'm not asking you all these kind of questions it just reminded me yeah. of that it's just like how folks feel entitled to yes the details of our lives. it's just interesting. No, that's a good point. It's like, I'm just over here trying to exist, okay? <laughs> like, I'm just trying to, like, whatever it is, I'm just over here minding me and mine. And for whatever reason, you know, you want to cover these questions. I, you know, I would like to pose that back to you all. Like, how do you go navigate in life, you know, understanding that, um, you know, representation is needed? It Yes, it's better. It's way better from, which is crazy, which is 2000. You would think it'd be a little more progressive, but I digress. <laughs> um, but like, how do you go about that? Um, I, I definitely heard it sounds like, you know, some of us have gone to PWIs or has some exposure to being the minority. How do you navigate life like that? Or how have you? I think for me in school, I kind of retreated. So to, cause I wasn't too far from Durham. Mm-hmm. That's where my people are. So a lot of weekends I'll be in Durham. I wouldn't be in Chapel Hill or like when I moved off campus, I didn't, unless I had to come on campus, I really didn't. Um, and one of my best friends stayed across the street from me, so it, it made it better. But I did like the last, my last two years, I found that I was like really just to myself and just trying to, mm-hmm. cause I just felt like nobody understood where, you know, mm-hmm. who I was or what I came from or, or why some classes were harder for me than other people. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I feel like even the black people at these PWIs aren't like, yeah, you know, I know what you mean. The, the, yeah, yeah. So it is. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a safe space to me all the time. And mm-hmm. I'm very protective of myself and my energy, and I don't like to, you know, mm-hmm. give it to people that I feel like aren't receptive to it or respect it. So I do feel like I I went into my shell a lot, and I'm working on now trying to, you know, get out of that. And, yeah. Um. Now that I have the language, yeah, to yeah. you know mm-hmm. call things out or like put a name to things that mm-hmm. that have happened and are to to happen but now I just know like okay this is not right and I should say this or you know mm-hmm. not feeling like my voice doesn't matter or I'm saying the wrong thing so yes. yeah I think that's that's how I navigated it and I know there are healthier ways too but I think that's just what I retreated to back at, at school just to just to keep my head down to get through because school was hard enough as it was yeah and then having yeah. to have all that stuff <laughs> on top of it you know yeah so I just did my best kept my head down got out of there and yeah, yeah. I, I live I feel you on so many levels. Like I had to catch myself because I was having like two thoughts at once. Mm-hmm. But like, yes, yeah, school is hard. Like, let's talk about that yeah. because you know, I think um, 
I think, you know, being high performing and I'm, and I'm not projected it onto you, but I know like my upbringing and just my experiences that I was very high performing. Like I got a natural high out of getting good grades. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself, mm-hmm. maybe some, mm-hmm. some from myself, some that I you know, may have got from family members that I didn't realize. Right. And it's just like, just working through that is just an experience. And then you made another good point where it's like, yeah, there are other people of color here, but it's like, I don't feel connected to you. Like, I feel like there's this distance, maybe our experience, Mm -hmm. and it makes it all the harder. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of my, I I don't know if I want to say richer experiences, but one is coming from a a HBCU to a PWI is just mind blowing too. like the culture around, you know, um, again, I went to A&T, so Aggie Pride, (laughs) okay, if you're central. Sit down. <laughs> sit down. Y'all all right. If y'all if y'all listening, y'all all right, but I'm biased. Um but when I left that, you know, AT was very um, you know, there are politics at any school, but what I did love about it is um when we studied, we all studied together. Mm-hmm. If we didn't get something, you know, we would share our grades and be like, hey, let's go and meet. And when I went to my PWI, which was um BC, Boston College in mm-hmm. Massachusetts, um it was just very different. So I we would get grades and I was like, hey, what you get? And they were like, I did well. And I was like, oh, okay. I was asking because I thought we could study together. Yeah. It was really competitive. And I really had to like have a different approach to like how I studied and how like I obtained information. And I, I didn't see that one coming. It caught me off guard all the way. I think that's really um, interesting because when I think about my experience at UVA, mm-hmm. I think there was, um, fortunately, at least while I was there, a fair amount of sim- like symmetry mm-hmm. and synergy mm-hmm. within the Black community or the circles that I was in. As you mentioned, there's always like politics mm-hmm. and like tensions mm-hmm. and whatnot. But what I recall in terms of like academic support is there was always this like tension of, well, if you all study or this warning or cautionary, like, well, if you all study together, if you sit together in class, just be prepared because they're, they being the like white professors, the white TAs, they're going to assume you're cheating, right? And like, so even how? if you wanted to support each other, there was this feeling mm-hmm. of like, well, be careful of what that looks like or how that might be perceived. And I don't have the answer. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about it now, but I wonder how that like um, shaped some of those academic relationships and relations to each other. Because I don't know that we all necessarily bought into them, but I am mm-hmm. sure that we carried them, right? If I remember mm-hmm. hearing it now, then I'm sure that we carried it. And then also even just the pressure of like, oh, well, if you're going to OAAA to receive these like academic supports that were reasonable, because as we said, school is hard, then it was almost, and I don't think this again came from within the black community, but there was this projection of like, oh, well, you must've been like lesser qualified. You just got in because mm-hmm. you were black, right? Mm-hmm. So if you make, use of these systems that other students have in some shape or form. We all know about the alleged foul cabinets on Fraternity Row, right? That yeah. allegedly housed tests and quizzes and papers and all of that. But that was never seen as like, oh, you might have an academic or might be at an academic disadvantage. It was just, oh, they're just working the system and mm-hmm. boys are gonna be boys. But mm-hmm. there was a different pressure put on, I think, black students. And so it's a long way of saying, I'm wondering now yeah. how even some of that like tension within or like maybe even a hesitance to or a caution against like black students studying and supporting each other academically came from these external mm-hmm. perceptions that mm-hmm. were like biased and unfair mm-hmm. to begin with, right? No, that's a really good point. I, and I know you wanted to say something too, but you, uh, I remember in high school, um, so again, I, I don't know if I remember hacky sack, like that was like a big thing they had on their little hunter jackets. Mm-hmm. I was like, chow. But anyways, they would play hacky sack and um the these students never had any issue 
But then um, if it was like black and brown students getting together, it would be like, oh, y'all fighting. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Um, no one's doing anything. But because of this perception, right, or because of what you've learned, you want to come and approach this with concern. I'm like, it's no different than them playing hacky sack. But I remember that being some of my experience, too. Um, But Brittany, you were going to say something. No, yeah, I was just going to... I, I failed to mention this earlier, um, the where I'm from, because mm-hmm. it's always an interesting question for me, because I'm a former military child, um, okay, so yep. I was born in New Jersey, but I lived in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Ohio, back to Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Hawaii, um, so okay. that also kind of, yeah. uh, like, was a part of, like, my identity experience and, like, experiencing mm-hmm. other people, but what I wanted to talk about was, um, I went to, I did my undergraduate, um, degree in Shamanan University and all of that, but that was never seen as like, oh, you might have an academic or might be at an academic disadvantage. It was just, oh, they're just working the system and mm-hmm. boys are going to be boys, but mm-hmm. there was a different pressure put on, I think, Black students. And so it's a long way of saying, I'm wondering now yeah. how even some of that like tension within or like maybe even a hesitance to or a caution against like Black students studying and supporting each other academically came from these external mm-hmm. perceptions that mm-hmm. were like biased and unfair mm-hmm. to begin with, right? No, that's a really good point. I, and I know you wanted to say something too, but you, uh, I remember in high school, um, so again, I, I don't know if I remember hacky sack, like that was like a big thing they had on their little hunter jackets. Mm-hmm. I was like, chow. But anyways, they would play hacky sack and um, the, these students never had any issue. But then um, if it was like black and brown students getting together, it would be like, oh, y'all fighting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, um, no one's doing anything. But because of this perception, right, or because of what you've learned, you want to come and approach this with concern. I'm like, it's no different than them playing hacky sack. But I remember that being some of my experience, too. Um, but Brittany, you were going to say something. No, yeah, I was just going to, uh, I, I failed to mention this earlier, um, the where I'm from, because mm-hmm. always a interesting question for me because I'm, I'm a former military child um okay, so yep. i was born in new jersey but i lived in new jersey pennsylvania ohio ohio back to pennsylvania maryland and hawaii um Ooh. so okay that also kind of yeah uh, like was a part of like my identity experience and like experiencing mm-hmm. other people but what i wanted to talk about was um i went to i did my undergraduate um degree in shaman university of honolulu hawaii mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um I was a minority there in a very different way. So yeah. like, um, there at the university, there weren't that many Latinos, mm-hmm. um, but there also weren't that many white people. Um, so um, mm-hmm. the majority of folks um, were Polynesian and Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was an interesting experience because like, although there weren't a lot of Latinos or Latinx people, everyone looked like me anyway yeah. um yeah. everyone was still brown um, which is still kind of cool i like um, that yeah and so i never had the the awareness that um like again we, you know we have talked about there was there was drama and politics and all those things mm-hmm. but like we were so cohesive so much of the time um that like something like studying together was just the norm and our professors although now that i think about it were slightly predominantly white um although we had quite a few like polynesian asian um and black uh professors um but they encourage 
studying together they encourage like you going everywhere together they we were a small um private university um so we didn't have uh the what's it called greek life right um mm-hmm. but they, mm-hmm. they encourage us being kind of together all the time um and obviously not during exams but but like that idea of studying together and that aloha spirit and that you know you know we take care of each other was very much instilled in me and like i said everyone pretty much look like me, even though, even if they didn't identify the same way I did. But that came to an abrupt halt when I got to Duke. Um, so mm-hmm. I did yeah. a graduate, like in between undergraduate graduate program in Boston um, called the Institute for Recruitment of Teachers. Mm-hmm. And it was pred- mm-hmm. pre- predominantly to recruit um, teachers of color. And we had to go to Boston for six weeks, I think. If I remember correctly, and that in itself was an experience of, yes, being around predominantly black and brown folks mm-hmm. um, who also wanted to be teachers, but being in Boston in that parallel was very jarring. Mm-hmm. And then switching over to that's how I was able to get into graduate school with their help. So it was a great program, but it was also problematic because now I'm being pushed into this very prestigious school and graduate school. And it's interesting because, like, teacher prep programs have a lot of work to do in mm. terms of the fact that you should be encouraged to work together. You should be encouraged to study together and learn together. And and there was a hint of that, but it was also very competitive. And mm-hmm. I in mm-hmm. the MAT program that I was in at Duke, um, I was the only one of two, maybe three, um, uh, students of color mm-hmm. in that program. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was the one that fully identified as a person of color. Um, And that was an interesting abrupt halt to that kind of unity that I felt Mm -hmm. in undergraduate. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it was just this idea that like, oh, well, you're the only brown person. We're going to match you with the only mentor teacher that is a person of color. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of that was just very... um, yeah, just uh, enlightening and also just frightening. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's where mm-hmm. my anxiety began. All of those things mm-hmm. that come up. You know, school is hard enough. Graduate school is hard <laughs> enough. Becoming school. a teacher is hard okay, enough. And now there's all these other layers of needing to perform a certain way yeah. and needing to act a certain way. And yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling at this point. But like, no, yeah, no, so it's I just you know, that 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 mm-hmm. abrupt halt of like. We are all together. We are learning together. We are doing all the things together, um, and it's such a diverse place in Hawaii. And now I come to predominantly white space, and mm-hmm. it completely mm-hmm. altered my my view of who I was. No, I, I, you know, I know from my experience. I'm what I'm like. Is this like what they? Is this what they were taught? You know what I mean? Like because it's, it's. I just I just came from a background where community is is um, mm-hmm. valued you know, yeah. togetherness, like, you know, we're better together. And so when you see that there's like this, you know, individualism, I'm like, oh, this mm-hmm. is, oh, you know, it's just a little do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly what it was. Were there moments, did you feel, um, did you feel alone in some of those moments? Oh, yeah, yeah. completely. Um, I felt like I was on my own. Thankfully, I had my fiance at the time, husband now mm-hmm. um, with me um, during mm-hmm. the whole experience. But even when I went into my teaching career and I was in, it was interesting because like at the first school I taught, the staff was predominantly people of color, but we all isolated ourselves. 
it was just like mm. this feeling of like isolation. And then the second mm. school that I taught in was our English department was predominantly white. Mm-hmm. So again, I isolated myself. Mm-hmm. I just kind of put myself away. Didn't mm-hmm. cause any problems, didn't make any waves. Yeah. And just kind of tried to be invisible and do my work. But like it's no way to exist. You said a whole word there, invisible, unheard, mm-hmm. you know. It, it kind of bring me back to like, you know, children supposed to be seen and not heard. But it's like, yeah. I'm not a child though. Yes. Right. So <laughs> let me take up this space, yeah. right. even if I'm uncomfortable. Um, did anybody else have thoughts on that? On like how they navigated life, understanding that, you know, there may be this lack of representation or understanding as far as how you move through that. Yeah, I think for me, <clears throat> more so now, I've um, been in a, a place to define and determine things for myself. So mm-hmm. uh, just say, for example, um, you know, having, I don't know if I'm a, a, I was a magnet for racism <laughs> <laughs> or what, but I'm like, all of these things are happening to me in, in some way, and they weren't necessarily happening to people who were around me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, um <laughs> I also feel like my energy makes white people in particular feel very comfortable, and so they just be vomiting mm-hmm. things out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you like, man, I'm trying to shop. Wait. <laughs> I'm just trying I'm to grab this. Like, I, what I do to you? <laughs> I need you to feel nervous. Please. Right now. Please. Um, so anyway, I had to come. Uh, so in navigating in this body, I had to. It's like so in an activist world, uh, some of the language is it's not to, it's not my job to teach you white person how to mm-hmm. how to show up and how to exist as a human, how to treat mm-hmm. me. That's not my job. My job is not to educate you, right? And so I hold that. But on the other hand, having that and, and there's nothing wrong, and it's true, but holding that does not stop white people from coming up and being harmful, mm-hmm. right? So I have to figure out how am I going to survive in this white world? Yeah. And so I had to come to the conclusion that one, um, I'm not educating you, I'm saving myself. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to start responding to people um, based off of what they say, either making it visible to them, what they said, helping them to see like you're being racist right now, whether you know it or not. Um, and mm. uh, intellectually reading people. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's right. Range. You know. <laughs> and so, I like that. Uh, and that's not our word. The author of that, I want that book, which is beautiful. Her name is escaping me right now, but you should definitely read Eloquent Rage. Rage, okay. Um, but um, I had to, one, say, I'm not educating you, I'm saving myself. And two, I was recognizing that um, these encounters were leaving me with a headache. Mm-hmm. And tension mm-hmm. in my body, mm-hmm. and I'm wrestling. Oh, this was this racist? Was this not? Should I said something? Should I not have said anything? And and I recognized I was the only one wrestling these thoughts because mm-hmm. this other person dumped mm-hmm. their garbage on me and mm-hmm. kept moving and hadn't thought twice about it. Mm-hmm. So I said, um, for myself, I, if the head if a headache is to be had, we gonna share it. You don't carry it away. <laughs> yeah, okay? I like that. So like, I'm gonna make it this yes, to you. Yes. I'm not educating you. I'm saving myself. And I had to come to terms. I wrestled with that being labeled as a black woman. Mm. And so I said, well, you know what? Anger is a human emotion and I'm allowed yes. to have it. And actually yes. I am angry. And if we're not angry, then that means you're not paying attention. And mm. so I, I, I relinquished that and I, I will own that I am angry. I get upset. I have a range of emotions. Mm. Um, okay. And I stopped caring about that. And so um more often than not, the 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 frequency 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. White people coming out their mouth towards me definitely decreased, especially I was in communities right. with people who now better understood that yep. you, you you have to slow down and be a lot more thoughtful around Rhonda mm-hmm. than you know than you have before. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of how I uh, and I get I'm proud of myself mm-hmm. when should I say be. something. Yeah. And so um, yeah. Uh, you know I feel better afterwards and, and maybe mm-hmm. I don't always do it right but I, I I came to the conclusion that when I lay my head down at night I'm at peace because mm-hmm. I disrupted I made it visible mm-hmm. to you and um however you handle it that's not my responsibility but um I saved myself in this moment and that's what's important to me no I I, I love the reframe of that I um I, I heard somewhere where it talked about like when you get angry and what they said is like you know when you're angry, like, don't be ashamed of that. That's this person. Mm-hmm. That's the side of you that cares about yourself. Like you mm-hmm. said, keeping yourself safe. And I was just like, oh, God, like, okay. <laughs> like, I'm going to remember that because even now, like, even though I am um, more confident stepping in my essence and, like, really taking up space as a woman of color, um, you know, it's still kind of like, okay, but, I, you know, I still wrestle with that. And so now I, when I do get it, I'm like, oh, no, no, I care about myself. So <laughs> you're going to get this however it comes. And I'm going to just, you know, pray that you be blessed however mm-hmm. you want to take it. But yeah. really good point. I think y'all really have captured, I think, mm-hmm. a lot of the ways that I hope to try to navigate it these days. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean, a lot of that kind of comes down to just trying to show up as I am, mm-hmm. full stuff. And that can look like different things on different days. Sometimes yeah. that's like, all right, you're going to get what I got to say. And sometimes it's, you know what? I'm not giving you that energy today. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of to Rhonda's point, to keep people on their toes, right? Because you can't mm-hmm. depend on Sirajine to speak up and speak the truth all the time. But mm-hmm. you might want to be ready if I do. And yeah. I think as an educator, something that I'm trying or I'm trying to be um, more intentional about with my students is really encouraging them to mm-hmm. to be who they are, especially mm-hmm. um, my Black women students. And I, yeah. I hear from them all the time. And even some of the um, younger girls that I'm in contact with, whether they're cousins or like family friends, um, was like, oh, nobody else is saying that someone's always telling me what I got to do, what I got to be, what I need to look like. And I'm just saying, you get to choose. Yes, yes there may be consequences yes. in these world, in this world, but as long as you can go to sleep, to Rhonda's mm-hmm. point, like mm-hmm. everything else will be fine. And so that's one of the things that I think is like a guiding mm-hmm. principle for me is trying to show up as I am mm-hmm. in any day and then being very intentional about communicating mm-hmm. to the like students and the younger people in my life that like they have the right and almost the responsibility to mm-hmm. do that too regardless of what the world may be pushing on to no i love that i i think one thing that i admire about um what gen z like one thing i admire about them is like they ain't putting up <laughs> okay like they like um no they're like miss shakita i'm like well, what did you say like sometimes when i'm working with some of the youth that i serve um and i just am so proud of them for taking that and i had to catch myself not to project you know so mm-hmm. i'll be like how did that make you feel? Because I want to be like, you know, you got it. So I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, keep that going. And sometimes on the other end of that is um, sometimes it still surprises me, like where there is still some of that insecurity. And it's because, you know, I'm from, you know, I'm a child of the 90s. And so when I look at that to where we are, it's there has been progress. But then there's still like this underlining, right? And I'm just like, man, that's interesting. And still trying to bring that out of some of the youth because they're still trying to figure out where they fit in or like where to take up space and how to, um, because they also have to navigate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> um, 
I want to just switch gears gears here because one, uh, you guys know that we also talk about black hair care period. And I just want, like I I don't have no cameras, but like I do want to say for my audience, like everybody's hair is cute here. <laughs> we have like very different styles. Like I'm seeing the natural, I'm seeing braids, and I just want to know, like, how do you guys feel about that too? How did you go about, you know, how did you navigate your hair? It was was everybody in here relaxed at one point or has everybody always been natural? Okay, look. Okay, they nodding. Right. Me too. Me too. Had to tap your head before because you didn't want it to burn. Like, what was that journey like for you? Uh, you know, just having to, um, at least for me, at one point, I feel like I had to assimilate a lot mm-hmm. and then get to a point where it's like, I'm not doing that anymore. And the hair that comes from my head is fine. How was that experience for you? Um my decision to go natural was based with a lot of pushback from my mom mm-hmm. um, just because you know she grew up in like the 60s and 70s and yeah. was taught to you know stay under the radar don't do too much you know your hair needs to be a certain way mm-hmm. it needs to lay down it can't be all over your head whatever so when i decided to go natural i think for the first like year it was like well, what you gonna do with your hair and you can't go out you can't walk behind me looking like that you know how that goes mm-hmm. but um mm-hmm. And I also think that's what made me want to like take so much pride in my hair and the way that it looks. Mm-hmm. Um, I do my hair weekly. Um, even I, if love it's hair gray, no, I yeah. love it. I love it. And I don't know, it just, it just makes me feel really good. Like that's self-care for me. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to know what I'm putting in my hair, to know, to go out and buy the things. and You know, mm-hmm. just, just the whole process of it, washing it, just taking care of it and doing it the way that I want to do it and not worrying about how anybody else thinks it looks or as long as I'm happy with it, it makes me happy. So yeah. I think it's just like a self-care thing and I, and I really take pride in when I get compliments and I can say, hey, I did it mm-hmm. myself. People are just so shocked. Like, oh my God, I can't believe that. Yes, um, yes. It takes a lot of time. Like I'll spend a whole weekend just doing my hair. Like I'll, I'll mm-hmm. carve out that time. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's my time for me. And I just, I just, yeah, I don't know. It just, it just does something for me. And I, I just really enjoy it. But I do remember when I first started like wearing my hair in like a puff, yeah. all my straight ends weren't cut off yet. So yeah. It didn't look the best, but you know, it was it was my hair and I had it. <laughs> right. And I went right. to my uncle's house and they live in Fayetteville and they're older. Um, he said, Why you come here with that ratness on your head? Child. You know, look, it's just everybody's like, like yeah. Yes. But it's like yes. this is my this is our natural, you know what I'm saying? This is what right. I look mm-hmm. like without process, without chemicals and it, I hate to hear you feel that. You know, you yeah. feel that mm-hmm. way when it's this mm-hmm. is what brought out my head naturally. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you get those type of things. But I think that's another reason why I make sure yeah, it always looks good. It always yep. looks tight. It always. Yeah. No, I, I, I first of all, I love that story. I, I'm with you. Like, I mm-hmm. love changing my hair. I, I really see it as a privilege. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, some of these other people can't change their hair like that. And so I really, when I wear my hair, I see it as a, you know, it's my crown and glory. I look at it like it can be curly today. It might be straight tomorrow. It might be long. Yeah. It might be short. <laughs> it might be mind your business, you know? And so, but I, I love that. You know, I think for me, same thing is I, when I was transitioning, it was like, um, even though my hair was transitioning, like my mind had to transition to that too mm-hmm. and really taking the approach. I had this same experience. If my if my dad ever listens to this, he may or may not. Mm-hmm. But my dad, when I first came in after I cut out all of my term, he was like, are you trying to go back to Africa? 
And I said, Dad, like, I said, that is such, like, an offensive thing to say on so many levels. But my dad is who he is, and his his story is his story. Um, But I got a lot of pushback, too, from them, um, from my sisters. You know, my hair is very short, curly, Mm -hmm. and tight. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't even fit the mainstream. Mm -hmm. So I also got, well, maybe once it gets longer, Mm -hmm. like, length is equated to beauty. Mm -hmm. Or maybe when it's this. And so I was just like... You know, and when you get there, you come back and you talk to me about it. And, and now, you know, my some of my family members that have taken that transition, how they get it. And so I had to learn to be patient. I had to learn to be a little kind. Yeah. Um, but I, but it, mostly it was just kind of like stepping out of that comfort zone and being like, you know, I want this. I want to feel good however I choose to wear my hair mm-hmm. um, because it's my hair too. And being able to wear your hair and not always yeah. having to, you know, put in yep. extensions or, you know, just, mm-hmm. just, I don't know, just having that and just being able to live in that. And also yeah. it just, I don't know, like other people can't do this. Like your hair yes. don't look like my hair, you yes. know, and it never will. And yep. like you said, the versatility, like it could be a braids one day, it could be a twist the other day, mm-hmm. it could be red tomorrow, it could be purple tomorrow, like, you know, yeah. and it's just, I don't know, it's, it's a conversation starter too. Yeah, no, I'm with Which you. Most people. Which people? <laughs> and if they behave, right, some people exactly. be like, "Can I touch it?" No, yeah. no, you cannot touch it. You can admire it yeah. from afar. And okay, like, I've never had. A, I don't know. I I guess I don't come off as a person that can just come up and touch my mm-hmm. hair. I'm, I'm grateful for, it, but mm-hmm. I've never really. I, I've had an experience once, but even with other black women, like they'll come and be like, "Oh my god, what do you use in your hair? Like it's so beautiful. Like how do you?" And that mm-hmm. to me is just. You know, being able to share that knowledge, and I don't have all the answers. But I'm still trying to figure it out. Still trying to figure yeah. out what products work. But I think that's the fun of it too. Yeah. That is the fun of. I mm-hmm. love like I, y'all. I love the beauty supply store. Okay, mm-hmm. like I. It is a right. <laughs> it's a rite of passage when I meet young black girls or girls of color. I'm like, you ain't been to the beauty store, mm-hmm. and I ain't talking about you know the mainstream one. I'm talking about the beauty mm-hmm. store where you got to bring it back in the day, mm-hmm. and it don't need to be touched. And if mm-hmm. it look, you know, you know how it go. But it's such a good experiment. It's, experience excuse me and i love like just finding new things i go there for one thing come out with a whole bag yes love it it's not good for my wallet <laughs> it's not it's yeah. we'll, we'll talk because there's one y'all have one here that i really love and i'm gonna just leave it baby <laughs> ready so i'm like what's time y'all yeah. okay <laughs> what about um, anybody else um so uh, i'm still figuring out yeah, my hair. As much as I love my hair now, yeah, I didn't always, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm getting a, I'm getting a stomachache just thinking about it. Um, Take your time. So, Lord knows, but my mom tried, um, mm-hmm. and she tells me now that she wished she would have had YouTube and all the things. Right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. she just didn't. Her hair was pinned straight. Mm. My sister's was that kind of like wavy straight like really big loose curls like you know manageable right um my dad's hair was always cut short because he was in the military but i think we pretty much share the same hair pattern um yeah but i never knew that until i got older um and my cousins were the same way uh very manageable hair everybody in my family seemed to have more manageable hair than i do so i was the outlier um and it was a constant, relentless teasing from my cousins, mm. uh, bullying because of my hair. The kids at school mm-hmm. didn't understand why my hair acted the way it did. So it was a constant source of tension um, yeah. and fear for me to be 
to have hair that didn't look like everybody else's. I constantly wanted straight hair. Mm -hmm. Constantly mm -hmm. going through the relaxers. Constantly going through like you know all the things that we could go through. My aunt was a um, it was a she owned her own hair salon at the time, and but she also had pin straight hair, and she dealt with pin straight hair. It wasn't she, nobody knew what to do with my hair to the mm -hmm. to the result of my mom getting frustrated not with me yeah. but just with the process and i and i you know understand that now and one day took me to my my aunt's salon and cut it all off mm. how old were you it was about maybe five mm. maybe six it was really young yeah and i remember just being so disappointed um and that in, uh, ensued more teasing yeah. from my cousins because yeah. now it was really, really short. It was in this little cuff, mm -hmm. and they were constantly causing all mm -hmm. kinds of chaos for me and my hair. Um, and it that that just went all the way through high school. Um, yeah, I just I didn't know what to do with my hair ever. At one point, my aunt suggested the at the time we called it Japanese relaxer, Japanese straightening hmm. technique or whatever. And it was like this, at the time it wasn't even um, uh, like approved to be done. So I was an experiment mm -hmm. um, for my aunt and it came out like gorgeous, right? Like my hair was pin straight. Oh my God, I couldn't believe it. I was in love with it. And then my roots started growing. And then mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. more sources for mm -hmm entertainment for my friends non-friends right yeah it was just yeah. a constant barrage of like my hair was being burned my hair was mm -hmm. you know it's just over and over and over again the cycle continues so i got into college and i was just like you know what this is my hair i'm going to take control of my hair yes like I'm yes of it. um so you know it was it was out it was frizzy it was burned it was all these things and i went to salon one day and i told her cut it and yeah. I got this real, real, real cute, mm -hmm. really tight, like, haircut. I mean, they've seen it before I've gotten it, like, <laughs> yeah. it's real cute. Um, and I was just like, finally, I feel free. Like, everyone was just like, oh, my God, you look amazing. You look so great with short hair, all these things. And I was still unhappy because I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't done anything. I just got rid of it. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until recently that I started, like, getting the sides shaved mm -hmm. and then like letting my curls mm -hmm. grow and that seems to be more of like a yeah an outlet for me but like I just have had a constant yeah turmoil of, of struggle with my hair yeah. because I just don't know what to do with it ever um mm -hmm. so it's not quite as a joyful experience as I would like it to be but and and not to mention like I said my my husband is Asian, and my children very much got the Asian gene of hair, um, and it has been straight. Oh, <laughs> my yeah. daughter's is, and hers is pretty curly, mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. it's not as curly as mine. Um, and my sister, who um, married a, a black man, uh, very much took on their her, her daughters took on uh, his uh, hair. Um, uh, gene mm -hmm. and um, they have hair like mine mm -hmm. and so like we have mm -hmm. reverse roles now where my sister's very much trying to figure out and navigate that world with them and I'm just like oh my children have manageable hair and I'm still yeah. trying to figure out like how yeah. do I uplift all of them mm -hmm. all four of our children to 
you know, love their hair no matter what it looks like. Yeah. And so I'm still very much in the self-care, self-love yeah. aspect of my hair. Um, while also trying to encourage my children. Um, mm-hmm. And my daughter mm-hmm. tells me constantly, Mommy, your hair is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, thank you. Yeah. And like, I'm trying to own yeah. that. I'm really trying to, to own it. And Sierra and I talk here all the time. Yeah. I'm trying to like, you know, I'm trying to make it work, right? Like, um, I very much am a, in a better place, but yeah. anytime talk of hair comes up, I feel like growing up. <laughs> no, um, one, thank you for being so transparent with that. Like, I think that's a real thing. Like, and and I'm not just saying it to say, like, I think your hair looks great. I saw it when I first walked in. And I was just like, damn, you know, like, not in a bad way. But I was like, okay, God, know exactly what you mean. Kind of like, just what do I do with my hair? I, I don't know if we've all been there sometime where you're like, okay, Lord, like, let's just hope this product works um, or this gel going to do what it needs to do or that it looks right if I put it in a puff, you know, and I don't think people realize like just how much that plays on us. Mm-hmm. Like that these, these beauty standards and these expectations of what hair is. And it's like, you don't even know what this process is like, you know what I mean? It's a whole process to get your hair how you want it to. And then for some, you know, for people not to appreciate it or not see that there's value in like your natural curl pattern that, honestly pisses me off yeah. um, with, with other women. Um, and I had to, I don't want to sound like a man hater because I'm not, but like, especially with men because all y'all do is cut y'all hair. And they be like, what did it, you know, if a man has a comment, I'd be like, look, your hair natural. Right. Okay, like, worry, worry about your hairline before I come for you. Okay, Godspeed. So thank, thank you for sharing that. And I think, um, you know, you're not alone in that. A lot of women, um, a lot of people that I've met um, on this platform also like sharing that experience where they're like still they love their hair but they're still growing that confidence mm-hmm. in it and it's just just take it one day at a time i will say one other thing too um mm-hmm. to like what Rhonda was saying earlier about like being the type of person that people kind of just want to talk to me and like mm-hmm. having that opposite experience of like everyone just wants to touch my hair and that was a constant growing up like when it was Crimped and prime and looked real nice, or whatever. People were just like, can I touch? And some people would just touch. And it was just like, it was such an awkward experience. So, mm-hmm. like, again, like being entitled to mm-hmm. what they mm-hmm. couldn't have or what they didn't have. But that was okay to your point. Um, Sam, I love my mom to death. But I wonder, I think as as young, as whatever age you can get a relaxer, I think she immediately put a relaxer on my hair. So there was no mm-hmm. having to manage it or anything like that. It's just, it's straight. So I wonder what it would have looked like had mm-hmm. she just, you know, took that time with me and learned my hair and taught me, you know, mm-hmm. and we like mm-hmm. were in that process together, um, you know, opposed to me being in high school, then finally trying to figure trying out, to figure my it hair, out. you know, figure it out on my own mm-hmm. and, you know, watching YouTube, thank God YouTube was around now. And, <laughs> yes, you know, yes. And just being able to do different things. But I, I do sometimes wonder, like, what if I had been natural my whole life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, what, yeah. what that would have looked like for me. Or if it would have been my decision to straighten my hair and not have it straightened mm-hmm. for them. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Any other thoughts on from anybody? I relate a lot to uh, Brittany's story and she yeah. and I have talked about this, mm-hmm. but like what it feels like to carry those stories. And I could tell you plenty of them from family, from friends, something for myself in this moment and like reflecting as y'all are sharing is just the entitlement. Like when I think about mm-hmm. it, what makes people feel entitled to have a comment, to have an opinion, mm-hmm. let alone to share it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what I think kind of exhausts me when I think about like my hair and mm-hmm. how it presents in the world. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I like it that day 
You know, one of my things, I love two-strand twists, but, like, I have fine hair. So, my two-strand twists be looking like they just little worms. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, just to be honest, I be like, I'm like, we gonna love you anyway, hair, you know? <laughs> and still finding, like, just the laughter and that being like, well, look, this is my hair. I don't feel like dealing with it today. So, y'all gonna get these worms. And, you know, and, you know, you could doctor it up. You know, get a scarf or yeah, a headband. Yeah. And I'm just learning to just sometimes in those moments just kind of be like, I accept my hair. And we just gonna we gonna rock with it anyway. Yeah, I'm trying to see how to keep this <laughs> concise. I have was definitely so people in my hair. There's this joke mm-hmm. on, on my dad's side. <laughs> they got good hair behind. Mm-hmm. Some of them have all good hair mm-hmm. on the whole head. It's more like. Um, Indian hair, but thicker, like yeah. not not that fine straight, but it's like really fine, soft hair. And so um, some of us got it behind our ears, and some of us got it in their whole head. So I I was a person who my hair is like three A three four C, and yep. it starts at three yep. A in the back, mm-hmm. and then and then it travels and changes as it comes forward. <laughs> um, but in my house, my sister she had the good hair, mm-hmm. and so. 
doing my hair, it was always like anger. It was your hair too thick. You you ain't comb your hair through to the roots. Yes. And the, the struggle yes. and the hurt to like, yes. you know, try to manage the hair and stuff. And so uh, that was a lot. And then um, we went through the Jerry Curl, not we, I. <laughs> My grandma, um, rest her soul, Florida, who recently passed. Mm-hmm. Um, she would go get, um, the, go to the beauty school at the high school to get her Jerry Curl. So she thought a Jerry Curl would help me <laughs> and my hair. Yep. Oh my gosh, the greasiest, or oh, it would be dry because my hair is dry too. So now you got a, a greasy jerry curl or a dry jerry curl. And now you leaving stains on pillowcases. Oh, right. So, I mean, it was just, you go the hot comb phase. Oh, I want to hold your ears. Oh my gosh. It's just steam. I'd be like, no, it's no, not. It's not. It's all iron. That's flesh. That's not here. We get to like the perm phase. So my hair, the perming of my hair turned it like a reddish brown color. Mine did. Which I really appreciated that mm-hmm. color though. You know, I appreciated that. And um, but my hair, I don't know what to do with it because it's also short. Mm-hmm. But it was short because it was breaking off. Mm-hmm. The perms are breaking it off. And then the ponytails. I always yeah. I didn't wear my hair out, I wore my hair in a ponytail. Mm-hmm. And so my hair in the back, I would get teased by the guys because it would stick out in the back. Mm-hmm. No amount of gel. Was keeping that hair up, and so they would walk up to me and point it and be like, oh, "Look at that porcupine! Look at that porcupine!" <laughs> so I'm mean, like, me and my hair have been through. Um, yeah, we've been through some things, um, and so and I was always teased because my hair was never like my sisters mm-hmm. or my cousins who had like Pocahontas hair. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so when I went to college, um, and I was in, um, I was African American studies double major. I like found everything that I ever needed mm-hmm. for for my identity for myself in yeah. that major, and I it, it really was I was an intentional decision to yeah. do a big job, yeah. cut all my hair off and go natural um, by my senior year. Well, I did it like in the summer of mm-hmm. um, two thousand or four. Mm-hmm. No, summer of two thousand four, I think. And uh, my hair was really short. The greatest pushback I got was from people who looked like me. It was in my family, mm-hmm. you like a boy. Yes. Your hair like this. People always, it was all the jokes. Yeah. Joke, my hair like a microphone. Mm-hmm. And like people getting up on the mic behind mm-hmm. my head. I'm like, and it was a lot of like having to laugh stuff off. Like mm-hmm. you did, it was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I didn't have the cute curly natural hair, right? Mm-hmm. Like my hair is not actually curly. It is not, my hair is coily. <laughs> and these spirals were made from a twist out. Yes. Yes. But, um, yeah. you know, it's just, um, it was very much a, a, a form of self love. And then to tell that, cause it, I was going natural, not when people like big shops weren't that popular. So you were still like an anomaly. Yeah. And so, to yep. tell other black women your why I chose to cut my hair, they would become defensive mm-hmm. and say, "Well, I, that doesn't mean I don't love myself because I still have a perm." I, I didn't say that, right? But for me, this was a form of love for myself, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. was a form of like I'm rejecting whiteness mm-hmm. intentionally. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't mean that you. I'm not saying anything about you. I'm saying this is what I had to do. Uh, for myself, yeah. and so when I first started out, I had the worms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's the worms. Like, I'm just my hair, me and my hair, we've come a long way. 
And then I guess the last thing I would say is like I also had a, a horrible hair. So I did a big chop. I had I never cut my hair. I had one haircut. It was to cut all my hair off because I was always trying to grow my hair to be short. Mm-hmm. I was always trying to grow it. And so, uh, let's not get into that one. Uh, right. Like, right. but then, like, when I was getting married, I had, so I, I had, yeah, I cut my hair in 2004 in the summer. Mm-hmm. And then I got married in 2005, which I was like, I wanted to wait because I wanted my hair to be longer mm-hmm. so I could do something with it because it wasn't much I could do with it, right? So mm-hmm. that's another story. But, um, and so the per- people didn't know how to do natural hair in 2005. Or the people that mm-hmm. I knew or people referring me to, and mm-hmm. so someone did my hair. They kept trying these natural cells. It didn't look right. I didn't want extra hair in my hair. I went natural for a reason. Like I wanted it just to be my hair, my way today. Yeah. And so eventually I gave in, and I was like straight with a, a hot comb. Yeah. Yeah. My hair did not revert back. Mm-hmm. So my yeah. hair, my hair is interesting. Like it, it does. Like I would always have to do like the um, super perms to perm it. And so um, the person who made it hot, who did a hot comb, it was just too hot. And my so I had to do another mm. big chop. I know you were like Jesus. Yeah. Know. But yeah. How many years later can you <laughs> so No, I mean I think that's it's interesting though, because we sit here with, with our hair and where it is now and it's like we all had our insecurities around it, which tells me that um, you know, we, we gotta do a better job as far as like how we are presenting hair and like what we're teaching um, to the youth, to ourselves about like the, the beauty around it. Mm-hmm. Because the truth is all hair is beautiful, even yeah. if it's tight or loose. And it really frustrates me. <clears throat> um, again, part of my platform is because I don't see enough representation for all the different hair types. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's not just one type of like black girl hair. Right. Like there's all types. And I really wish that, you know, that we just did a better job of, showing it and not just trying to sell this product you know i'll be watching them i'll be like mm. i'm like that ain't me let me look at that like right. t- let me see your kitchen yeah. no, <laughs> that ain't for me and um you know it's just something that i i just, even now i still have to work for yeah what do you um with that being said like how do you think this plays into mainstream like how do you think mainstream perceives like black women with our hair and with our dialect because there's so much range in it um, and I feel like there's just this misconception. I think that there's this stereotypical black woman mm-hmm. and it sometimes overshadows that there are all types of women, all types of black women and how we choose to mm-hmm. present ourselves and how we choose to, you know, navigate our own lives. I did just want to lift up to Ryan and yeah. Brittany real quick yeah. like our previous conversation. Um, I found that like, if there's nothing wrong with not like being a hair guru or not because there's other mm-hmm. black people supporting too and mm-hmm. paying for their services. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the same thing, you know, like it's, it's still self-love, it's still self-care and you're paying somebody to professionally, you know, take care of your hair. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. I appreciate it. And I just, cause I, I do my family's hair. I don't like do hair anymore. I used to, but mm-hmm. like I do my auntie's hair. But anyway, and they, you know, they pay me what, you know, the, they call it the friends and family rate. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'd be like, yeah, come on time. Right. Stop playing with me. But I did my aunt's hair and, um, you know, she sent me the money. I was like, auntie, you didn't have to pay me. She was like, I would have paid somebody else, you know, this amount of money That's at right. the shop. So why not, you know, pay my niece who does, you know, specific hair and did it. So that just, you know, that. yeah. So she, she ran me really good. She did that. But um, just to your point about, 
I think, like you said, I think people think black women are a monolith and there's only one mm-hmm. way we can be. And if you're not that particular way, maybe you're not like a real black woman or you're, mm-hmm. you know, and I just, and as I've, you know, gotten older, I'm not that old, but, you know, mm-hmm. through my through my years and mm-hmm. what wisdom I do have, it's, I think it's, it's beautiful that we're not all the same. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And yes. it's, I think that's what represents us as black women, that we're, that we're, we're all black people, but we come from so mm-hmm. many different walks of life. We have so many different experiences. And, you know, I just feel like the stories are richer, like the, you know, just the wisdom is there, the wisdom is richer. And I just feel like mainstream does that to, like, make us palatable because Mm -hmm. some Black people aren't or they feel that way or, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just based off experience. And I've I've learned, like, some people act the way they are based off their experiences. Mm -hmm. I I didn't have the same experience you had, so how I show up is different than how you show up, but it's not wrong. It's just different. Um, I feel like that's where you learn best. And I don't know. I I just like even people that people even people who other people perceive like they may not have anything to offer or they have the most to offer and, and mm-hmm. just listening and just you know just getting that knowledge from people I yeah. just feel like it's it's super important and it, it creates a more well-rounded individual when, mm-hmm. when you do have all those different yeah. um perspectives so I don't know and I think it's easy for a mainstream to like pick apart black women and um, you know, white women get cornrows or they'll wear the big mm. ear knocker earrings and it's like they just want the easy parts of us. They don't yes. want to sit yes. with the hard parts and sit with, mm-hmm. you know, all the other things we go through as black women throughout the yes. day. It's not just, you know, how we present ourselves and it's not just, and I, and I just think it's so funny that, you know, people will say that we don't have a, we don't have a story or we don't have a history, mm-hmm. but if you just look, right. you know, at other people's right. histories, like it's, black people are embedded throughout it. So, I don't know. I just think it's a way to make us smaller, and it's a way to, oh, yeah. yeah, just yeah, like just pick the parts that they want, and you know, whatever it doesn't work for them, it, it doesn't work for them. And if you embody anything that doesn't work for them, then you're, you know, you're less of a person, or you're, you're, you know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just I no, just think I it's very you. interesting, but um, yeah, I think it just boils down to not, not wanting to fully digest who we are as people, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. just the the cute parts or the, mm-hmm. the trendsetter parts, or you know mm-hmm. the. The first yeah. day can mimic. Exactly. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Or uplifting and makes them feel good, right? Because right? mm-hmm. I see your curls and I'm going to mm-hmm. compliment you on your curls. Mm-hmm. And so now I've done my thing and I'm a good ally. Right. It's like, no, you're not. I know I was cute. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. I think it's interesting because um, as, a, as a Latina, um, there was always this, there's always this kind of perception of like, well, you don't sound Latina. You don't, you know, mm. your hair doesn't look Latina. Like, when I was uh, growing up, the, the big thing was um, uh, the Latinos who had the manageable hair, but it was like gelled out to the max and like mm-hmm. real stringy down by the face. My sister could do that. My mom hated it because it like made her look too stereotypical, which I didn't understand. And yep. when folks didn't know how to categorize me, it was it was very easy for them to categorize my sister because she usually had her hair like that. And they're like, oh, she must be. At the time, people always just thought Mexican, right? Like, that's only whatever Latinos were. <laughs> um, and I, you know, it's like, no, we're not Mexican. <laughs> yeah. But they didn't quite know how to categorize me. So like, oh, you must be what, black and white? I'm like, no, I'm still Latina. You don't look Latina. And your hair mm-hmm. is black. Like, not mm-hmm. the color, but, like, even though it is black, but it's, you have black hair. And I never should have understood what that meant mm-hmm. when I was younger. I'm mm-hmm. like, what do you mean I have black hair? Like, I'm, I'm Latina. <laughs> but <laughs> how are you going to tell I, me? I probably have, you know, I know, you know, yeah. I have a lot of family in the Dominican Republic. And, like, you know, um, I, I know that blackness runs through me, yeah. runs through our blood. 
but that's just not the way I was identifying as a yeah. kid. And when yeah. you tell a kid that, and it's just like, well, you don't look Latina. I'm like, what am I supposed to look like? What am I supposed to sound like? Um, mm-hmm. That's still a question that I get mm-hmm. now, where it's just like, oh, are you black and white? And I'm like, no, I'm no. not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, kind of playing into that, like, you know, what, what you had said, Sierra, of like, just kind of diminishing who we are as as people and like mm-hmm. trying so hard to place us into boxes that mm-hmm. we do, none of us have to be in mm-hmm. um and trying to figure it out based on features that are so arbitrary because mm-hmm. like i'm a latina my hair looks like this my sister's latina her hair looks like that my mom mm-hmm. is and she looks like that like mm-hmm. it you know it's not you can't you literally cannot do that you cannot yeah. say that i am one thing or another based on what you've just mm-hmm. seen about me mm-hmm. And you know that's nothing but white supremacy. Right. Right? White people yeah. don't have to answer those questions. Right. And they look they diverse, it, just as diverse as any other racial. That's the nice word. Group. Yeah, you know what I'm saying like they look like some. <laughs> but I'm gonna say it like that. <laughs> and you know we, mm-hmm. as if because we don't get to exist in our full humanity. Right. Like mm-hmm. whiteness mm-hmm. says, this is the way to be black. You do this, you do that, and unfortunately, because they have so much power and access and control. You know, we internalize that. Mm-hmm. And I definitely want to clarify, you know, it, even some of them we were talking about, some of it would be your own people sometimes when you're trying to go natural. And I don't want to, I don't want to blame us because no, for right, our people, right. my family, our families, our cousins, our friends, that like we're victims. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, and so because white supremacy put us in a box, it also put um, our minds in a box too. And so whenever we, when we're challenging and pushing back, our own people have a hard time yeah. trying to understand and see how they fit in. If you're breaking out of that box, you know, like, is that a good idea? Is it not? And what does that mean about me? And so I do mm-hmm. want to just bring in that list too. Mm-hmm. Like, I, and I, and I, and I think I can speak for you all too. We're not blaming our people no, for how we were treated, but uh-huh. we, we understand that it, it still hurts, yeah. you know, yes. even though we were all breathing the same racist small, the same yes. self-hatred, um, mm-hmm. it still hurts. And we understand that, you know, they were just doing what was done to them. Mm-hmm. And it was, so, yeah. yeah. It was also often coming from a place of concern, which then made yes. it harder to protect yes. yourself. Right. 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 It's like, oh, well, you might lose an opportunity mm-hmm. or other people might do this mm-hmm. or they might think that. Mm-hmm. Right. And what you really probably wanted was someone to say, I'm staying with you too. They yeah. say right. 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 Both of us, right. 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 Definitely echoing around this point, like understanding where it was coming from and even, you know, like the, that race is smog and then the intent is mm-hmm. arguably very different than when it's coming from like, well, this is my experience, my own yeah. people then. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yeah. I think that's why I said it so like tenderly when I was saying about my mom being so yeah. frustrated because she was just she was just so concerned mm-hmm. that she wanted me to always feel cute, always mm-hmm. feel beautiful, always mm-hmm. you know, all these things, but it's just like that societal pressure of like why yeah. is your child look a mess? She doesn't look a yeah. mess, that's just her hair. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's you right. know, this idea I always hated the messy bun i hate that yep. that concept because yep. it's just like oh just put your hair in a messy bun i don't have a messy bun it, it's just the way it looks mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you're trying hard to make your hair quote unquote messy and right. yet you're criticizing me for looking waking up looking a mess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's just oof, it's a lot <laughs> I know we gotta go and this is off topic, but I, I just saw like a picture a colleague of mine was traveling for a conference and they were at a airport in florida and a a woman who at least presented as white was wearing like a silk bonnet and she sent the picture and all I could think about was that like backlash a couple weeks ago again coming from or at least as it came to me 
led by a black woman, like telling black women not to wear bonnets in the airport. And I was just like, and here we are. Like, I'm gonna say anything to this, right? And just again, thinking about all those tensions, right? Like if a black woman doesn't protect her hairstyle, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, look at that messy hair. She knows she shouldn't come out the house like that. Mm-hmm. You gonna walk through the airport, who knows what the weather could be outside mm-hmm. and you're wearing a bonnet, then you're not being prim and proper. And yet other people, who knows what style was being protected under the <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm like, I have questions. Ain't washed your hair in how long? Well, you like now? Like, well, look, that person is going to be able to just move through the world with their body without any pressure, mm-hmm. any concern. Mm-hmm. And there's got to be a better way. Like, black women deserve better. We are so yeah. much more than that. And we yes. deserve the freedom, the yes, peace to show up in whatever ways without judgment, without entitlement on our bodies, yes. on our hair, or anything else that we're you know, yes. wearing or feeling. No, I agree. And y'all, I know we got to go. I know we don't went over, so I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Let um, So let me do this. Uh, let me ask the last question. The last thing I want to say is, you know, in your own words, how would you describe, like, what does it mean for you to, to be a Black woman? But I also want to throw in, if you can, like, what can we do, like, knowing that, um, using the word that you said, Sierra, sacred, sacred space, a sacred place, like, what can we do with our knowledge, with our experiences, like, to educate those after us so that, you know, this continues? Because it's not about, you know, um, suppressing or, or, excuse me, oppressing white people. It's not that. We're just saying that this has been going on so long that we want people that look like us to feel good about themselves, to, like, know who they are. So, what can we do? Like, how can we, um, you know, use what we have to to pass it down to others? And and then again, like, what does it mean in your own words to be a black woman or to be a woman of color? Um, I will say, I don't even know how to define what it means to be mm-hmm. a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I'm thinking right, but what can't resonate with me most right now is just thinking about like having a little black girl daughter. And I have like mm-hmm. undone, tried my hardest to undo all of the harm mm-hmm. that happened uh, to me as a child. And my daughter, yeah. she is beautiful. Her hair is beautiful. Yeah. She, um, her hair is more, it's more of a solid 4C. Mm-hmm. And um, it is so thick and so long. And it take a long time to do hair, but the whole time I'd be like, Girl, look at your thin hair. Yes, look how, look how long your hair is. And I was like, and then because it's four C, and my hair is similar too. It shrinks up. Like even right now, my hair is longer yeah. than this, her hair. Like shrinks and it calls. And I and I talk to her about that, and we stretch it out so she can see how long it is, and then watch it come back up. And and I just look at how full her hair is and how healthy it is, and I'm always. Um, you know, trying to allow her to find hairstyles that she wants mm, to I do. Try to take it to the yeah. hairstylist, because um, sometimes I gotta outsource it because it, be, it do it, yeah. it is like a finished process. Be for real, her hair is long and thick mm-hmm. and beautiful. But um, I just think about like the opportunities that Sarajane named to be around young girls and just affirming everything mm-hmm. about whether they have a perm mm-hmm. or not, like mm-hmm. affirming all of it, right? And so um, I think for me. As a black woman, I take, I feel like that is part of my duty to um, support and affirm black girls in their yes. hair, especially um, uh, natural hair. And I get to see um, in our summer camps and working with kids, I'm seeing more black girls who do not have perm. I would have mm-hmm. had a perm by then. Mm-hmm. And yep. I'm like, oh, yep. it's natural. 
care. I love it. And so always just trying to affirm it, finding the books that affirm it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would say one aspect for me, being a black woman, is affirming every Mm -hmm. black girl's hair whenever I can. Yeah. So I love that. You all poetic. I'll say that. uh, So, and it it is it is difficult to define what it is to be a woman of color. Um, But one of the things, and I kind of I happened to look over at my desk, um, was the card um, that y'all got me for either my birthday or it was my one year here. Like, never forget that you got people, Mm. and like that resonates so Mm. deeply with me um, Mm. in terms of being a woman of color and like understanding that like. I finally have people in my corner, mm-hmm. not just my family, but just like, yeah. you know, because I haven't felt that in so long mm-hmm. um, that it is, I feel like for me, that's what it means to be a person of color, like understanding that like there are, there are folks that are, that are supporting mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. Um, and that I feel genuinely supportive of other people as well. Um, you know, kind of growing up in that mainstream of like, you know, women are catty and they tear each other down or, you yeah. know, like you got to fight for your place. And it's just like, why, why are we fighting? And why are yes. we tearing each other down? Especially yeah. women, like mm-hmm. we should be lifting each other up and to know that that's where I am right mm-hmm. now, um, mm-hmm. has kind of, it just kind of dawned on me today. So like, wasn't yeah. even something I was like thinking about, but like, yeah, like I got people and to, to Rhonda's point, um, you know, I have, I have a, a, a daughter, and she has gorgeous hair, yeah. and she is a gorgeous personality, and she's everything about me and more. And I have two gorgeous nieces, um, and it's just it's constantly, you know, they're really little, but I'm already like pouring mm-hmm. into them, um, you know, love for themselves and and and, and my son too, <laughs> but love yeah. for themselves and for each other, and you know, for their hair and. You know, like I said, my, my daughter is constantly complimenting everybody's hair. Wow, I mean, her hair is really beautiful. And, you know, it'll it'll be what it looks like. And she just thinks it's, it's the world of it. Yeah. And I just want that to continue. So constantly just pouring into mm-hmm. um, them the, the, the love and self-care and and deep breathing and, and mental health, you know, you know mm-hmm. taking care of your mental health and all of these things that, that I wish I would have had yeah. growing up yeah. uh, again not blaming, not blaming yeah. my family um, at all, um, but kind of undoing the things that they didn't know mm-hmm. how to undo. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked to the, my mom about that constantly, where, you know, at first when I used to say that, she's like, oh, I didn't realize we were such, I'm like, no, you, you weren't anything. I wasn't saying right. you were, right. <laughs> but, you know, there were things that you undid mm-hmm. that you, that happened to you as a child that you didn't want to do with us. Now it's my turn to mm-hmm. undo the things that mm-hmm. you didn't quite know how to undo. And she's just like, it's well okay, said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well like, said. you know, she, she now is very comfortable talking to me about like, you know, the things we can undo and yes. it's all we're just trying to do. I'm sure my daughter and my son will have things that they need to undo. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully not too many, but no. yeah, it's like, it's like, well, hopefully continues upward and helping. Um, I go Brittany Rhonda. When it is hard to just encompass being a black woman, um, yeah. but I'm grateful for the black women that have come before me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I don't have any kids or anything, but I, I normally like will talk to my younger self and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. just let her know like don't let other people's projections dictate mm-hmm. your life and what you decide to do mm-hmm. and what choices you decide to make. Yes. And that's not to say to dismiss it, but to do it and then go back and 
hey, you know, I did this, mm-hmm. even though, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it, it wasn't something that was possible in your world, I was able to do it, and this is how I did it, and, you know, um, I don't know, just find your community, find yes. your people, yes. lean on them, when you, you know, when you need to, and I think the beautiful thing about being out of, you know, college and out of that PWR space is now I, I choose when I engage with those type of people, and when mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't have to, yes. and I can lean on people that, you know, are here for me and can respect me. Yes, um, yes. So, those are the, my last <laughs> yeah. yeah, so much of what y'all have already said like really resonates and related and as I or I relate to it and as I was sitting here what was coming up for me was when I think about moving through the world as a black woman I feel simultaneously like one of one mm-hmm. and one of many mm. and I think that yeah. many is like mm. as uh, Sierra was saying like the women that have come before me my mom is uh, one of 12, but one of six girls. My dad is one of four boys, but their wives, like those, like my aunts, they, you know, were really probably my first example of representation of black women. And it wasn't yeah. until I was in my mid twenties that I had, that I learned that people weren't surrounded by black women and like mm-hmm. diverse black women mm-hmm. <laughs> at that. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's kind of what holds me thinking about like my aunts, my great aunts, my grandmas, um, the women in my lineage that I'll never meet, Mm -hmm. right, historically, and hopefully moving forward to Mm -hmm. being a part of that feels special. But then also, and and within that, like, I guess in relationships, I think of being a sister, a daughter, a niece, um, hopefully one day a mother, a friend, so on and so forth. And all of that has moved me and guided me in a lot of ways. And I think I'm in a space now where I'm leaning into the one-on-one and thinking about what it means to be a black woman, like for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. And that's, yes. it's scary sometimes, but it's also mm-hmm. really, really cool and really exciting mm-hmm. to explore. And so those are some of the things that I think black, being about what it means to be a black woman, like for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. And that's, yes. it's scary sometimes, but it's also mm-hmm. really, really cool and really exciting mm-hmm. to explore. And so those are some of the things that I think black being a black woman means yeah. to me. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, I know we have to close. I think when I think of being a black woman, I think it's a gift. Yes. I think it's a opportunity because, you know, you do get to take what you learned, even some of the good and enlightening, that's what we'll call it. <laughs> um, and you get to share that. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, big fan of diversity and diversity to me doesn't just mean um you know different race it means different age it means different experience and so um i think having an opportunity to have some diverse experiences i get to take it back home or with the people i engage with and you know really build them up i like one thing i saw that you guys were doing today as a group was like you know i'm going to lift her up and i'm like oh like i'm just like that's so cute like i I think that's really good to empower so you know it, it means it's a gift it means to empower it means that you're strong. It's it's so much around it, you know, and I, I'm grateful for this discussion because I think that that's what people need to hear. It's like, it, it's 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 not, you know, it, it's not as easy as it looks, you know what I mean? Because I think people think that it's easy and I'm like, no, it, it definitely takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of um, just mental preparedness sometimes, but it's also a beautiful thing. Um, I love what my, my blackness is. I love what it means to be a black woman and just, you know, what comes from that. Yeah. Um, I wish, I really do wish we could continue, but guys, thank you so much, and thank you for being a part of this this podcast. Yes. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. This was dope. I appreciate your energy to your vibe. Thank you. If you would like more information or would like to support the work of We Are, 
you can go to their website at www.wear.nc.org. They are also on social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok as WeAre underscore org and Facebook at WeAre.nc.org. Also, be sure to like and follow Deep Condition Combos. We are on Instagram and TikTok as Deep Condition Combos. I hope you guys have a lovely rest of your Sunday and stay tuned for the next episode.